Good afternoon, church. I usually say good morning, but uh, we're past that. And, uh, and I'm not complaining if you're not complaining yet, right? Um, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been filled this morning. Um, you don't need that music, right, Chris? Uh, man, where's Pam? It's Pam. Pam, thank you for that story. That was just, just the fact that it all made sense when you think of Todd Rob being from Canada, that was priceless. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thanks for, you said you don't call that prayer. That's prayer, Pam. Conversation with God all through the day. So thank you. Thank you. Um, but just blessed by the music and, and everything and, and the offering call. We ought to refer to Chris as the church now. The church. I like that. Um, you might witness the miracle here today. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to actually bring this down by 12:30. Is it? What time does is that clock right? 12:16. What is it? 12:14. 12:13. Okay, I got three extra minutes. All right. Um, you might witness a miracle if I could do that. Um, then you will truly say, like I've never heard you say before, God is good <laughs> all the time, right? Um, but God is good. And all the time. So I'm going to try to do some, some editing here. But uh, I do want to update you on Alice. Alice uh, spoke with her yesterday and Dr. Bob. She was at uh, UC Irvine Medical Center on Thursday. Had some surgery. They were doing a biopsy. And uh, the procedure all went well. Uh, she is home now, and they hope to hear reports by Tuesday or Wednesday. So just continue to keep them in your prayers uh, during this time. Her spirits were great, and she, she said she really wanted to be here. Uh, what a trooper, you know, going in for procedure Thursday, coming home Friday. And she just said, but she can't touch her head because she can't do anything to her hair. So she didn't want to come here. So, uh, but Alice, if you're watching, because they often watch, we, we wish you were here no matter what your hair looks like, right? Uh, but we love you. So, yeah, we can applaud. So. And, uh, what's that? And wave? We can wave at Alice. All right. All right. They're, uh, yeah, I don't know if they're getting a church shot, but we're waving, Alice. We're all waving, okay? <laughs> That's right. Um, so continue to keep them in your prayers. And she just wanted me to express her love to all of you and her gratefulness for the church family and all the love they have received through the food, the card, the phone calls, the visits, the prayers. Um, she feels very loved and uh, cherished by her church family. Um, I also want to say that I learned something really neat a couple of sermons ago, was that if I talk about things like chocolate chip cookies, some of you take that as a personal challenge to prove that you make the best chocolate chip cookies. And so I'm still waiting for some of you to get yours to me. Um, I have had some, and they've been exceptional, but I'm not going to give my final vote yet. Um, so from time to time, I'll mention some of my favorite foods, and, and if you'd like to take that as a personal challenge, I'll accept that. Um, anyways, just a little plug for myself, sorry. Um, today's sermon uh, is actually somewhat inspired by a conversation I had with somebody over 10 years ago. About 10 years ago, I was on my way to La Sierra University. I was uh, with a group of musicians. We were going to do a whole bunch of music for the university chapel that morning. And uh, on my way, there was a gentleman in the car with me who wasn't from the area. He's from Portland, Oregon. He's a phenomenal musician. 
Um, he's a, uh, he does studio work. He's a guitar player, like the best person I've ever played with and, and pretty much seen. You've probably heard him on everything from Nike commercials to soundtracks to you name it. And he does producing and things up in the North Pacific Northwest. And I've had a chance to play with him a few times. And um, it's, it's always amazing because he makes you sound so much better than you are. You know, <laughs> he just does, you do this and he just plays all around you. And, and so we were in the car and I just said, his name is Tim. I said, Tim, is there a chord progression in music that you have never heard? And he said, no. I went, I just can't even imagine what, what kind of music he hears. You know, what is, I know what I hear, but like what is going on in his head when he hears music? And he, I, I said, so you have pretty much heard like every chord progression possible? He goes, eh, I could probably safely say that. And, and then I said, well, how did you get to be as good as you are? Now, this is somebody who was somewhat of a prodigy. I think he graduated from from the university with a music degree at the age of 17, okay? So a little ahead of his time. And he said, well, John, he says, there's a lot of people who know music theory. They know the theory of music and, and progressions and arrangements. They know the theory and they can play the notes, but they, but in order to get to another level where you, and he didn't say this part, I'm, I'm kind of putting my own paraphrase on it, where you actually become the music, you know, you're not just trying to not make mistakes, but there's actually passion and, and people connect with that passion in the music. He says, at some point, he just said this, you have to do your push-ups. What do you mean by that, Tim? He said, well, at some point, you have to take all the stuff that you, you know and you have to work it out. You know, you have to, you have to pay your dues in, in, in doing the scales and practicing your arpeggios and, and going over things until you're not thinking about it anymore. You just are. And let me tell you, if you ever got to play with Tim or got to hear him play, he just is. He is the music. It just flows out of him. And no matter what chord progression comes, it could change keys. It could go from major to minor. It could go into altered chords. He just, he's playing over it. He's doing it. And it's just amazing. I would be thinking, oh no, what's coming next? Oh, I gotta play that, oh, get this scale. I'm still thinking, I'm not quite the music. He said, at some point, John, you have to do your push-ups. It's not just what's in your head. Well, that story has always been in my head and I think about how Jesus calls us to a life of discipleship. And I think about how often he challenged the people who knew the theory of the kingdom but didn't seem to want to enter in. It seemed like he was calling them to a disciplined life, but they didn't want to come under his discipleship. And so Jesus tells his disciples sometimes, you need to pray. You need to fast. You need to do this or that. You need to... But let me say this before we get a little nervous. None of it is done to earn the favor or the love of the Father. Ever. But when I believe in the love and the grace and the mercy and the compassion of the Father, oh, I want to grow in that. I want to grow. In fact, that's what First Peter says, right? He says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we're saved by grace, Ephesians says, and, and Peter says, now we want to grow in grace. And that word grow, if you were to look that up in the original language, that, grow, that word grow actually means to make progress. It actually emphasizes not staying put, but to grow. And church, sometimes, sometimes, my experience growing up in the Adventist church is that there are too many people afraid of falling instead of being intentional about growing forward. It's kind of like the difference between playing to win versus playing not to lose, right? And the Holy Spirit calls us to grow in Christ, to move forward in Christ, to grow in grace, and not just try to hold your place until he comes, but to grow in this relationship that he invites us into, to grow in this knowledge, to grow in his love and in his presence. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright calls this inaugurated eschatology. That's a big, as Charles Teal, one of my former professors would say, a big pregnant phrase, a pregnant word. But N.T. Wright calls this inaugurated eschatology. He says the Christian calling to radical holiness of life is likewise a matter of inaugurated eschatology, that is, of beginning to live in the present by the rule of what will be the case in the ultimate future. See, that's what's so great about the kingdom of God is that we don't have to wait till he comes in the clouds for us to live under his reign. We get to live under his reign in the present. And when that happens, he invites us into things as our king. He invites us to do things. And and if you were to read Colossians 3 and you were to read Romans 6, you would read about these things that says, put off this and put off this and don't do this and get rid of the anger and get rid of of all of that type of stuff. Now, if your life's anything like mine, that's pretty challenging to do sometimes. And even on the days when you think like, hey, man, I'm feeling pretty good today, then all of a sudden, bam, you lose your temper. Man, I wish I could take those words back. And we blow it. But we're being taught, and we are training, and nobody has arrived. But he invites us to grow in his grace. And the passage I really want to speak out of today and believe me, I'm, I'm doing a lot of editing here, so just hopefully it's, hopefully you're not just getting eggs splattered on the wall. Hopefully it's making sense. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul writes these words. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. To me, that almost says it all, doesn't it? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all mankind. And it's this grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. So grace saves us and we grow in grace, but grace, we need to remember, sometimes we often, I think, limit grace to let people get off the hook. 
or forgiveness, you know. Oh, they, they messed up, but grace, you know. We give them grace. We give them grace. And then every once in a while you hear somebody say, you know, we sure do throw a lot of grace around here. When are we going to hold people accountable? But grace does hold us accountable, and grace does invite us into a life beyond our issues. Grace invites us into a life that transforms our issues and changes us and brings healing to our minds and to our hearts. If the Bible's true, it it actually teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, oftentimes we can think of worldly passions and we can think of sexual immorality, we can think of those types of things, but I want to suggest to you today that at the heart of worldly passions is the tension and the fight that often goes on between my empire and the kingdom of God. And so what happens is that my, anytime I get in an argument, I often sense my empire is starting to come out. Now, my wife had a birthday in July, and she, uh, we were at an art store in Laguna, and she saw this, this uh, piece of art, and it was, it was kind of these creative signs. I don't know what you call them, but you, they had phrases on them, and they were kind of in this rustic-looking wood, and then it had a phrase printed on them, and done by some artist in Texas or something. And, and she said, I, I like this one, and, and I want it for the house. And I went over to it, and I looked at it, and I, I got a laugh out of it, and I thought, why does she want this at the house? The sign said, your crazy is showing. You might want to tuck that back in. <laughs> and I thought, don't you want to take that to work or something? I don't know if, uh... no, she wanted it at the house. And then I said, well, where do you want to put it? And she said, uh, in the bathroom in front of your mirror. No, she didn't say that. I'm just teasing <laughs> And we got a kick out of it, but I thought about that, and of course I like to spiritualize everything, and, and I thought, you know, sometimes I think the Holy Spirit comes along to me and says, John, your empire is showing. You might want to tuck that back in a little bit. You know? The worldly passions we have sometimes for control, for power, can be pretty scary and very dangerous. When you think of ungodliness, we can think of all kinds of Actions, but, but at the heart, I want to say, if my understanding of God is revealed through Jesus Christ, then godliness is self-sacrificial love. So ungodliness would be the opposite of self-sacrificing love. And so grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. No to trying to always protect self and no to always trying to survive. And yes, to giving our love away, of giving forgiveness and compassion and mercy, of allowing God's kingdom to reign and subdue my empire, to live a life that brings glory to God. But how do we let grace teach us? And this is where the push-ups come in, I think. There are things you've heard me mention before, spiritual exercises. There are ways in which we can put ourselves intentionally in the classroom of grace before God. Prayer. Today you've come here to worship. You may or not have realized, but you are doing spiritual exercise, if you will. You're exercising the soul. You're exercising time of being with God and with others in which grace 
through worship, through song, through story, through, through word, through prayer, through fellowship, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Time in the scriptures, time serving, time journaling. But I want to especially talk about one. I didn't make, well, I, that's three minutes fast. I didn't make 1230 yet, but I'm getting there. And that's meditation. Now, unfortunately, there are voices out there within the Adventist church as well that keep trying to throw meditation out. And that's why I want to speak specifically about that one because I want to be completely honest with you. I personally feel that any attempt to throw meditation out of our experience with Christ is working against Christ. Meditation is talked about over and over in the scriptures over and over in the scriptures. You read the psalmist meditating on God's law. Look at, look at Joshua 1.8. Some of you will remember this one where God talks about, he tells Joshua to meditate. In Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God told Joshua to meditate on his word, on his law. Remember Psalms chapter 1? But his delight, the blessed man, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Listen to what Mrs. White says in First Testimonies, Testimonies, Volume 1, 294, Satan leads many to believe that prayer to God is useless and but a form. He well knows, listen, he well knows how needful are meditation and prayer to keep Christ's followers aroused to resist his cunning and deception. By his devices, he would divert the mind from these important exercises that the soul may not lean for help upon the Mighty One and obtain strength from him to resist his attacks. Meditation on the word of God is so vital to us being taught by grace. To not just read the word and try to just grab a quick lesson, but to take the word and to meditate on it. To take a passage, a brief, a brief passage, to read it through two, three, four, five times, whatever it might be, but to get through it and not just get through the, the verses, but to allow it to get through to me. Do you remember, I shared this with you once before, and I, and I think it was Dallas Willard that said this, but he says, when Jesus came to this earth, you know, we tend to get so focused on getting into heaven, but Jesus' mission was to, not only to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us, where God reigns into us, his love into us. And this happens, I believe, as we meditate on God's word, not just read it. Okay, I read it, I'm done, on to the next one. We need to spend time lingering in the word of God. And one powerful way to do that is to, is to memorize pieces of the word of God because then I can marinate and meditate on it anytime, anywhere. So now when I'm frustrated because there's traffic, I don't know if any of you were in traffic yesterday, got on the freeway here to go home, and there was an accident just by Cherry Valley Road, so I was going nowhere fast. And I thought, oh, man, I need to get home, and I need to do this. I started going through my list, and I'm like, wait a minute. 
what a gift of grace. Unfortunately, hopefully the people in the accident were okay. But I'm sitting there and start pulling out the scriptures in your head and just meditate, meditate. And when that happens, transformation happens. See, there's a definition of success I've always liked. It says, success is when preparation meets opportunity. And you could think about that for the athlete. You could think about it for the the student, right? If I go to the test and I haven't prepared, I'm not going to have success. But if I'm prepared and I have the opportunity, then I have success. On the athletic field, the job place, whatever it might be. In the spiritual life, I believe it's the same. Success is where preparation meets opportunity. When I've been with the master when I'm allowing grace to teach me and to transform me, then when the opportunity comes along by that same grace, there could be success. And success in the kingdom is love, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and serving. Jesus invites us, invites us to join him in the classroom of grace. To allow him, his love, and his power to transform us. The way we think and the way that we live. We're invited to be taught by grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you've called us by your grace. You've called us to your grace. You've saved us by your grace. You continue to save us by your grace. And Jesus, thank you that you also are willing to teach us through your grace. Please lavishly pour out your grace upon us that we would continue to grow in grace and be taught by grace. Just take a moment now just in silent prayer to be still in the grace of God this morning.